Before they had a type of preaching, they called it a turn or burn preaching. Turn or burn. Fire and brimstone. That's what it was all about. And today the title of my lesson is a little more biblical. I want to use biblical term for biblical concepts. And so the title is Repent or Perish. And so let's go to an old school preacher, John the Baptist. If we go to Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist was incredible. You know how many miracles John the Baptist did? Zero. None. People did not come for a show. People did not come to see him do something really cool. People came to hear a life-changing message. And that's what I hope that you've come here today for. I pray that you've not come for some entertainment. There's a lot of churches out there that want to entertain you, want to put on a show. But we're here to preach the truth, the Word of God. And I hope that's why you've come here today. So in Luke chapter 3, so John the Baptist was the first prophet that preached for 400 years. 400 years, there was silence. Nothing from God. No revelation. No messages. No nothing. And then John came and shattered the silence. He came with the word from God. And people gathered from the entire nation of Israel. From Judah, from Samaria, from Galilee, to come and to hear him preach the word of God. It says in, John, in Luke chapter 3, in verse 7, When the people came to hear this message, what was the message? John said to the crowds coming to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruits, in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. How would you feel if you showed up and the preacher called you a snake? <laughs> you are a snake. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? It's, it's interesting because that's pretty bad right off the bat already, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's actually worse than that. Because it's a brood of vipers. So it's, it's the children of snakes. And what the ancient Greeks believed, they believed that when a snake would be born, it would eat its mother and kill its mother. And in the Jewish society, the most evil, wicked, vile thing you could do was to murder your parents. That was the most evil thing in the entire society. So we think about it today, what would you say is like the most evil thing in the society today? I think for me it's, uh, go ahead, yeah? Pedophilia, exactly. Child abuse. It is evil. Wicked. No one disagrees with this. So if you came to church and I said, you bunch of pedophiles, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That's the tone that John is taking with the people. Say, so you guys are the most evil, wicked, vile people imaginable. It's like, they must have, they probably didn't kill their parents. Is that you probably are not child abusers. But what he's going the tone that he's beginning with, he's saying, you guys are evil. And you need to repent. The word repent in Greek is metanoia. 
It means to change your mind. You change your mind, and by changing your mind, you change your actions. So what John is saying is that your actions are evil. You are a wicked, despicable person, and you need to change your life, or else you will perish. Because the problem with the Jews is that they thought that they were special. They thought they were exception to the rule. They thought that God's law did not apply to them like it did to everyone else. See, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, they would pray. They would say, oh, thank God that I'm not a Gentile. Thank God I'm not like other people. And sometimes that's how we can think. We can think that we are special. We can think that we're special children of God. I'm here at church. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And John says, no, no, you're not good. He says, the axe is at the root of the tree. What is the tree? The tree is Israel. What John is saying is that God is about to destroy the nation of Israel unless you repent. Don't think that you're special. Don't think that because you're the promised people that God is going to spare you. Because God can start again. God can raise up a new nation. God can raise up a new people. How does this apply to us today? Do not think that you will be special, that you'll be spared because you're in the sold out movement. Mm -hmm. The axe is at the root of the tree. God can destroy this church and start up a new church. Unless we repent, we will perish. It says in verse 10, the people said, what should we do then? See, they didn't argue. They didn't say, oh, John, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a murderer of my parents. I didn't do this. That's not me. No, no, you don't understand. I've been a Jew from birth. No, no, they got it. It was a very simple message with one point, and the people accepted it. Why did they accept it? Because their hearts were soft. They saw very clearly their need for God. They saw that they needed to change. And said, what do I got to do? And that's got to be our response. We have to have the heart of, okay, man. I am not right with God. I need to get right with God immediately. And John says, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Amen. So John, he says, okay, what's the fruit of repentance? It's real simple. You've got to be outward focused. So many people come to church focused on themselves. What can God do for me? And a lot of people came to John. They're like, okay, what do I need to do? Okay, John, baptize me. He says, these are people that wanted to be baptized. These aren't like evil, terrible people in sin. No, no, these are people that want to get right with God, but John has to clarify what's going on in their minds. Like, hey, you came to get right with God. Let me show you where you're at right now. You're in darkness. And if you don't repent, you're going to perish. And for you to repent, you've got to be outward focused. You've got to focus on other people. And it says tax collectors came. It's encouraging. Tax collectors were the most hated people in the society. <laughs> Tax collectors were Jews that worked for the Romans. They exploited their own people. And so the Jews hated them because they were taking advantage of Jews. And the Romans hated them because they were Jews. So everyone hated tax collectors. So the good news is you might feel like you're a bad person. You might feel like people don't like you. You might feel like the way things are going in your life is bad. 
great news, you're like the tax collectors, and you can repent. <laughs> but the thing is, is that he says, okay, how did tax collectors make their money? Because they had to collect the taxes for the Romans, but the taxes weren't like published on like a notice board. They would just come up to you and they say, okay, hey, you owe this much money. And if you didn't pay the money, they would call the soldiers to come and uh, harass you. So if you didn't agree with the money, tough. They could charge you as much as they wanted, and tax collectors did. They were very rich by exploiting their own people. And that was how they got their wages. Because the Romans didn't pay them a salary. They said, hey, you collect this much money. This much money is how much you owe us, and you can keep the rest. And John says, you can't do that anymore. I know that that is what is acceptable in the society, but your job does not please God. You cannot do this job and please God because it's wrong. So you need to repent. Some people, part of their repentance is they got to get a new job. Yeah. Yeah. Their job does not please God. The way that they're living their life does not please God. It might be acceptable in the society. Society has no problem. Society had no problem with tax collectors charging extra tax. It was expected. Like everyone knew it. It's like, okay, yeah, I know you got to pay this much, but all right, fine. I'll pay this extra much. I know it's wrong, but what are you going to do? And this is where, for us, we can't go based on what society says is acceptable. We have to go based on what God says is acceptable. And sometimes repentance requires radical change to our lifestyles. Look next at the soldiers. The soldiers, again, they did not get a high salary. So what they would do is they would exploit people to take advantage of it. And this was totally normal. No one objected to this. It was expected. If you're a soldier, you're going to abuse your position. You're going to abuse your authority to take advantage of those weaker than you. And John says, you can't do that. You can no longer live based on the standards of the world. What is socially acceptable and what is normal in this society does not please God. And some of us, we need to change how we live our lives. Instead of living based on the standards of the world, we need to live based on the standard of God's word. So I hope I've woken you up and gotten your attention with some fiery preaching. You see, John came, he shattered the silence. You imagine you don't hear anything for 400 years and then this guy shows up in the wilderness? That would, that would get you going. So he came to prepare the way for Jesus. So John, he brought the really hard message to make it easier for Jesus. Jesus could have the, the nicer message, right? Okay, let's see what Jesus says in Luke chapter 13. Because I mean, like, you can, only, you can only take so much, right? The, the people, they, they, heard a, they heard a tough message. They heard a tough message, so Jesus came to, to encourage them. This is encouraging if you repent. <laughs> so Luke chapter 13, it says in verse 1, Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Were those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they are more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So one of the things that was happening in the Jewish society is they had this kind of fatalistic karma mentality of good people have good things happen to them. 
and bad people have bad things happen to them. And so what happened was is that uh, these were two current events that happened during the time of Jesus. The first was that there was a group of Galileans that came to sacrifice and Pilate killed them in the temple. And it says, that's what he says, he mixed the people's blood with the sacrifices. Wow. And they believed, oh, these were bad Galileans. That's why that happened to them. These, these bad people got justice and then they got killed and that was them. And then there was a, there was a tragedy. This tower, it was a tower in Jerusalem. It collapsed and fell on people that killed them and said, oh yeah, those, those were bad people. That's why they got judge, God's judgment and that's, they're, they're bad, they're bad. But Jesus, no, that's not how it is. You are not any better than these people. You're not different. Unless you repent, you'll perish just like they perished. This is to make, again, to make it a bit more modern and a bit more uh, relevant for us, it's like the Grenfell Tower. So this is like saying like, oh yeah, those, those people of Grenfell, they were, they were bad people and that's why that bad thing happened to them. No! You're not any better than them. Just because you haven't had this tragedy happen to you doesn't make you a good person. Yeah. The Bible says that unless you repent, you too will perish just like they perished. And then it says, Jesus said this parable in verse 6. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? So the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So there's this vineyard with trees, and the trees produce figs, except for this one tree that wasn't producing figs. And the owner of the vineyard came, first year, no figs. Second year, no figs. Third year, no fruits. And he says, why is this tree in my vineyard? It's not producing fruits. And when you, I looked into the Greek words for what he's saying, and check this out. The Greek words literally says, why should this tree prevent the soil from producing fruit? Oh, oh. oh it's right. <laughs> why should this tree remove the ability from the soil to produce fruit? Because the soil should produce fruits. But this tree is blocking my vineyard from producing fruits. Cut it down. Remove it from my vineyard so my vineyard can produce fruits. We can think, oh yeah, we're in the kingdom of God. We go to church. This is awesome. But where's the fruit in your life? Where's the fruit of your repentance? Not other people's fruits. Your fruits. Personal fruits. Because the Bible says, okay, God's patient. The, the master of the vineyard represents God. And he says, okay, first year, no fruits. Second year, no fruit. Third year, no fruit. Okay, after about three years, God's like, okay, something's got to change. Repent or perish. And then it says the, the, uh, the, uh, the man that's tending the vineyard. Uh, is it 
to... Yeah, the man who took care of it. I was thinking there was a technical word for it. The, the vine dresser, the, the man who takes care of the vineyard. This kind of represents like your, your leader, your discipler, the person that God's put in your life to, to help you. And the, the, the evangelist of this church, this vineyard, he says, okay, God, be patient. Be patient. Give, give it one more chance. I'll, I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. I'll help this person to bear fruits. But if they don't produce fruit, okay, cut them down. What the, the church leaders say is, okay, if this person's not producing fruits still, let them fall away, God. Remove them from the church. Wow. That's intense. That the leader would say, okay, yep. God, I mean, if there's no fruit, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Because when there's a lack of fruit, it's not a personal issue. We're a family, remember? And so it's not that you just don't produce fruit. You prevent the soil from producing fruit. You prevent other trees from bearing fruit. When you are not producing fruit in your life, you stop other people from producing fruit. And that's why God has got to remove this poisonous tree that's poisoning the vineyard. Because then this spreads. So if you have one tree that stops producing fruit, then it gets other trees to stop producing fruit. And then those trees get other trees to start producing fruit. And then you have an entire vineyard that's fruitless. <laughs> an entire vineyard that is preventing the soil from producing fruits. You imagine the owner of the vineyard, he sees, okay, the rains have come, the soil is healthy, but why is there no fruit? My vineyard should producing fruits. God is God. And the churches all over the world are producing fruits. But if there's a lack of fruits, why? It's because there is a tree, or there are trees that are fruitless. And Jesus says to these people, He says, hey, if you do not produce fruits, you'll perish. God will cut you down and remove you from His vineyard. God will cut you down and remove you from His church. And what's the timeline for this? Three years. Four years, if you're lucky. And I think this, this is a wake-up call for me. Because um, it was a couple weeks ago, I was talking with a friend who's in another church. And it's always good to be a part of a worldwide church. You get perspective. And he was asking, how's it going? What are you learning? Oh, it's going good. I'm learning this. And um, he said, all right, so how's, how's it going? Disciples, baptism, like, no, it's been slow. I mean, like, first three months, only really baptized one person. And he says, bro, I'm just going to say this is a friend, but uh, I don't hear any panic in your voice. Like, you seem, like, really okay. Like, one person in three months? That is terrible. You should be afraid. You should be afraid about where you're at. I'm scared for you. I'm scared for your ministry. He's, and I, I started reading these scriptures. I started looking at this. And I got scared. Because it's so easy to slip into a religious mindset. Mm -hmm. Say, oh, I'm busy. I mean, I gotta, I gotta spend time on my sermons. Oh, I'm busy. I mean, I gotta, I gotta study for my ICCM. Oh, I'm busy. I gotta do this. I got my staff meetings. Oh, I'm busy. I gotta have Devo. Oh, I'm busy on this. I'm busy on that. I don't too busy to make disciples. Mm. Wow. 
And I think about my last life, or my, my last uh, year, the, the last year of my life. <laughs> no, no, you only get one life. You only get one chance. Repent or perish. <laughs> no second ghost. I remember, I look at the, the last year of my life, and um, I didn't personally make anyone a disciple. I helped other people to become disciples, but that's not what this is talking about. Can you imagine a vineyard where there's a tree that just goes around helping other trees produce fruit? <laughs> right? It's laughable. You just go over and say, hey, bro, you got some fruit? Yeah, great job. Okay, I'll, I'll encourage you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for your fruits. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we do that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's your visitor. Okay, bro, I'll pray for your visitor. Oh, yeah, who could? Oh, I'll jump in that study. Okay, yeah, I'll stand up in front when they're ready to get baptized. Okay, yeah. But who are you personally making a disciple? Who are you bringing from the darkness into the lights? Who are you saving? Who are you making into disciples? Because I've been a disciple long enough now to see what happens when you don't. And for those of you that have been around a little while, you know what happens when people, they lose their purpose, they lose their focus, and it on average, it takes about three or four years. You see someone that goes fruitless, no fruit for three years, they fall away. They lose their purpose, they lose their vision in life. And they lose their, first, their fear of God, which then leads to them losing their love of God. Because the fear of God helps you to love God. But when we lose, we lose our awe. I love the song that we were talking about, Stand in Awe. Some people come to church and they don't want to stand it off. Yeah. They're going to sit in selfishness. Yeah. But we got to see, okay, no. God is a God of justice. God is a God of love, but God is also a God of wrath. And Jesus preaches the exact same message as John the Baptist to the exact same people. John preached to the nation of Israel. He says, hey, if you don't repent, God is going to cut you down. God will destroy this nation of Israel. And then Jesus comes, and he preaches the exact same message. He says, do not think that you are better than anyone else. Do not think that because you're God's chosen people that God will spare you. If you don't repent, God will cut you down. And guess what happened in 70 AD? God did cut down the nation of Israel, destroyed his own temple, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed, biblically speaking, the nation of Israel. Now Israel is no longer God's chosen people because they rejected God. They did not repent. Now we are the chosen nation of Israel if we repent. We are no different from the nation of Israel. We're no different from the Jews that Jesus was talking to here. Unless we repent as well, we'll perish. Mm-hmm. So let's go to Luke chapter 16. So when I say like perish, what do you mean by perish? Like, like what, what does that mean? Okay, I'll tell you. Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story. And it's interesting, this, I, I say that it's not a parable, 
Because this wasn't a parable. Parable was a general principle with no names, no specifics. But this is not a parable. This is a story. Because it has names. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's a one specific rich man that we don't know his name, but we know is one guy. And this other person, Lazarus. It says in Luke 16, verse 19, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of my uh, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us there is a great chasm that has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. <laughs> this is a story about a rich man who had a good life. We live in London. We have good lives. We are all rich. Yep. Let me show you what poverty is. Because some people think they're poor. Poverty is you are homeless. You're the victim of animals. And you're begging for food. That's, that's not us. None of us, none of us fit that category. We all have the rich man. It says that he had uh, purple clothes and fine linen. And some of us have got some nice clothes on. We're, we're rich. <laughs> yeah, we, we look good. But it says that because he never repented, he died and went to hell. And you see him in hell. He still is telling Abraham what to do. He's telling Lazarus what to do. He's treating Lazarus the same way he treated Lazarus on earth. So people that are not broken on earth will not be broken in hell. That's right. Wow. He's still on repentance. Mm -hmm. There's no humility. There's no brokenness. There's no repentance. No, no. He says, okay, do what I want. Make it all about me. And Abraham says, no. Even though he's in complete agony. How much agony? He was in so much pain, he wanted a single drop of water. A single drop of water would have been enough relief for him. And it's interesting, it says, what does he want to do in hell? He doesn't want to repent, but he doesn't want to evangelize. See, people in hell will want to be extremely evangelistic. The only thing they will want is for no one else to go there. And he says, okay, what about my family? He didn't care about his family when he was on earth. 
He didn't cause them to fear God when he was on earth, but when he's in hell, now he cares about his family. Now he wants to help them. And he says, okay, send Lazarus back to my family. And Abraham says, no, they've got Moses. They have the prophets. They have the word of God. And he says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they don't listen to the word of God. They're not going to listen to Lazarus. No, no, but if he would raise from the dead, then they would listen to him. He says, no, no, if they don't listen to the word of God, they won't even listen to someone if they raise from the dead. Yeah. This is obviously foreshadowing that Jesus yeah. did raise from the dead, and people still rejected him. Right. They still were unrepentant. Yeah. Notice how upset Abraham is over this man's lack of repentance. Notice how bothered he is. He's not. Notice how bothered Jesus was over the people's lack of repentance. Notice how bothered John the Baptist was over people's lack of repentance. If people don't want to repent, that's on them. If people want to go to hell, that's on them. Don't let it steal your joy. Don't let it steal your faith. Don't let it steal your fear of God, your love of God. See, when people rejected Jesus, he shook the dust off of his clothes and he went on to the next town. You're not better than Jesus. You're not more persuasive than Jesus. If people rejected Jesus, they will reject you. But we're called to do what Jesus did, which was to seek and save the lost. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If people do not want to accept the word of God, you are not going to change their hearts. Don't try. Go on, move on to someone else that will accept the word of God. That will be perfect. And they're out there. How do I know? People like Kiki. So Kiki's incredible. I mean, she's beautiful, she's all smiley and bubbly and everything, but that's not what makes her awesome. She loves God. She fears God. See, there are always people that will hear the message and will repent. For all of the multitudes that rejected Jesus, there were the disciples that accepted him, that accepted the message. They repented. They were broken by their sin, they got baptized, and then they lived the life of a disciple. Those people are out there. And it's awesome because Kiki's here, and, and uh, you have to hear her story one day about all the things that God has done in her life, the journey that God has brought her on, determining the times and places, sending her all over the world to become a disciple. And today she's going to make Jesus Lord of her life. She's ready. I pray you have her heart. I pray you imitate her example. Is that because it's not the size of the person, it's the size of their hearts. Good things come in small packages. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) And so you might be saying, okay, great. I want to be like Kiki. I I do not want to go to hell. I do not want to burn forever. That is not what I'm about. What do I got to do? What does repentance actually look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. So go to John chapter 15. Come, Ross. So this is Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples. 
And this is a section, it's kind of like a prolonged discipling time. And it's in the middle of it, in John 15. And he says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. Some people don't like it when God starts cutting off parts of their life. Preach. Right? It's like, God pulls out the shears, and you're like, oh no, 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 oh no, God, don't you touch that part of my life. And then he cuts it off, ah, oh, no! You know the difference between being cut off and being pruned? About a quarter of an inch. So you, you, you've got the, you've got the, the, um, the vines. And the, 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 the vines that spread out. And so if you're going to prune something, you cut it about here. If you cut it off completely, you cut into the branch and you cut it here. So, you will either get everything cut off, or almost everything cut off. Yeah. And don't be like fired up if you're like, oh yeah, I was fruitful, great. You're going to be cut off, and you're going to be more fruitful. You're going to be pruned, you're going to get most of the stuff cut away that's stopping you from being more fruitful, so you can be more fruitful. And that's great news. Because it still means that you're attached to the vine. <laughs> it says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So this whole time I've been talking about fruit. Fruit, 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 produce fruit, produce fruit, produce fruit. <laughs> but what does that actually mean? Because there's, there's a number of different fruit in the Bible. There's fruits of the Spirit, there's fruits of repentance. But what Jesus is talking about here to his disciples is the fruit of making disciples. Yeah. And he says, this task of making disciples is impossible without him. Mm -hmm. yep. True. Yeah. Not difficult, impossible. <laughs> it says in verse 5, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus is not speaking to the lost. He's speaking to the saved. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the church. He says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Simple equation. If you with Jesus, you produce fruit. He says, if you don't remain in me, it's impossible, and you will not produce fruits. And then you will slowly wither away until eventually you're just discarded into the fire. And so we see that producing fruits, making disciples, is a salvation issue. Yeah. And people get really, really upset. When you say that, oh, so I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I, what, how, what, uh, no, read the Bible. Right. What does the Bible say? Preach. I didn't write this. No. Yeah. Jesus says, 
If you remain in him, you will produce much fruits. So if you're not producing fruit, what does that mean? You're not remaining in him. You think you're going to be saved if you don't remain in Jesus? You think you're going to make it in heaven to heaven if you don't remain in Jesus? No. That's what the Bible says. You will be withered away. Until eventually you're discarded into the fire. And I don't want that to happen for anyone, most of all for me. <laughs> right? Because I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. Because like I said, I had a reality check about two weeks ago where I got the fear of God put into me. He was, uh, my friend, he was saying, he's like, bro, like, I don't hear any panic in your voice. And literally, as he said those words, my heart started. <laughs> He's like, are, are, are you okay? I was like, I, 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 I'm panicking now. He's like, good. I'm glad. That needs to produce change in you. You need to get the fear of God in you. Because when I look back the last year, did I make any disciples? That's scary. And so, okay, what about this year? So far, the first three months, haven't made any disciples. That's scary. Because what does it mean? It means, whether you like it or not, whether you want to believe this or not, according to the Bible, I am withering. Little by little, withering. Because I'm not abiding in Christ. Doesn't matter that I'm an evangelist. Doesn't matter that I preach cool sermons. Doesn't matter that I give awesome tea times. Doesn't matter that I share my faith. Doesn't matter that I do awesome devotional services. Doesn't matter that I love my wife. Doesn't matter any of these things. What matters is, am I abiding in Christ? That's the only thing that matters. Jesus encourages them in verse 7. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Mm. Yeah. He doesn't say bear much fruit, making yourselves my disciples. No, no. You don't become a disciple when you make disciples. You are a disciple, and then you prove it, you show it by making disciples. Yeah. Our salvation is not based on how many disciples we make. Our salvation is based on whether or not we abide in Christ. Yeah. And I think this is great because I remember I, was, I came across a sermon that I preached about uh, two years ago in the East region. And it was funny. You can tell that things were very different then because uh, I, was, I, I got up to preach and you can hear Rebecca in the front row. She's like, come on, Colby. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's where we're at in our relationship. But that's <laughs> come on, Colby, preach the word. <laughs> I'm glad that we're in love now and happily married. <laughs> but I remember we, it, 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 this was in the East region and we were very fruitless. And I got scared then. I was like, I remember being afraid. And I remember going out in Stratford and standing in that, there's a little space behind uh, Westfield. There's a little quiet space. I just stood there and I just prayed. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I said, God, I want to find someone and make him a disciple. And I left that spot, and I shared my faith, and I saw a guy, and I said, do you believe in God? He said, yes, I do. Do you want to study the Bible? Yes, I do. We studied the Bible every day for two weeks, by myself, 
Like, people wouldn't even join in the study. Like, I couldn't even get people to take notes. I had to take my own notes for this guy. And two weeks later, he was baptized. But what about now? Is this what's really on my heart? Am I praying every day to bear fruit? I have been for the last two weeks. But before that, I wasn't. I'm just going to be open with you guys. And God's not going to give us what we don't ask for. If we don't pray for disciples, God won't give us disciples. Is that I want to really lift up uh, the women. I think it's awesome. Anna prayed hard for Lauren. And now Lauren's a disciple. Rebecca has been praying hard for God to bring incredible women. And he did. Literally. She just walked in the door. (laughs) If that's not from God, I don't know what is. But what are you praying for? Praying for a job? Praying for a girlfriend? (laughs) Praying to make special missions? Is that what you think about? Or are you praying to make disciples? Are you praying to bring people out of darkness into the light? Are you praying to get people to heaven? I think that this has got to change. We, we have deep convictions on a lot of things. I think we have deep convictions on being a Bible church. If someone comes in here and says like, oh, so like, the Bible says this, but I don't really feel like it in my heart. Oh no! <laughs> you get your Bible out real quick. Oh no, I got scriptures for you. <laughs> someone talks about, like, I mean, evangelize the nation, that's a good idea, but it's just it's a lot. It's all, oh no! on many things. And when people challenge these convictions, we have scriptures to back them up. Because our faith, our convictions are rooted in the Word of God. But one area that I see as very weak in, and I see that I have to take responsibility for this, we've been weak in the area of personal evangelism. Personal fruit. Having a conviction on this. And I say, okay, this is a conviction I'm going to build in my own life, and I'm going to put this into my ministry. I'm going to put this into the culture of who we are as a church. Practically, I've got, I've got seven things that I want you to write down. And these are things practically that we're going to be going through. And it's, it's awesome. I saw Kiki. She's like, oh, yeah, I know what they are. I know what they are. <laughs> because uh, I, I talked to Rebecca. I was like, hey, you've got to go through these with, with Kiki. You've got to make sure that she's solid on all these things because she, before she becomes a disciple. Because that this is really what we've got to be doing. We've got to be producing people with biblical convictions. Number one, pray every day to be personally fruitful. In Genesis 1, chapter 28, the first thing that God told Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply throughout the whole earth. World evangelism is on the first page of the Bible. It was on God's heart from the beginning. And it needs to be on our heart. How do we do this? We need to, number two, share our faith every day. And we need to really believe that God gives us perfect opportunities. Acts 17, 27 says God determines the times and places. We say this with people when we study the Bible with them. Like, oh yeah, God chose you to come here and study the Bible. But God also chooses us to go and share our faith with these people. There are people every day that are waiting for you to share your faith with them. But if we don't, we're wasting these opportunities that God gives us. Number three, we need to be 
begin daily Bible studies. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, speaks about us being trained in the elementary principles of God's Word. It says those who are mature have trained themselves by constant use to distinguish between good and evil. If you're not consistently in the Word of God, teaching others and teaching yourself, you will lose your ability to distinguish between good and evil. You'll, be, you'll not be able to see God. You'll not be able to see things clearly as they are. Number five, every disciple needs to be personally fruitful every year. If you have a fig tree, you expect figs every single year. Yep. And in Matthew 28, in uh, verse 16 through 20, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Yep. How do we do this? Well, a disciple makes a disciple, makes a disciple, makes a disciple. Mm-hmm. And with exponential growth, in as little as 33 years, you can have 10 billion disciples. Mm-hmm. Two to four to eight mm-hmm. onwards. Now, this is important to really see, okay, how do you get fruitful every single year? Very simple. Pray every day to be fruitful and share your faith every day. It's really simple. Because like, you've got to think about it. If you share your faith every day, 365 days a year, if you pray to God to be fruitful every day for 365 years, you're telling me you're not going to be fruitful? Of course you're going to be fruitful. The problem is we don't do that. The problem is that we pray for like a week and then nothing happens and we get discouraged. We, we share our faith for like a month. Two months. Or three months. And nothing happens. And we get discouraged. And this is where I want to lift up Tosinan. Awesome. I, I remember uh, the summer of last year, we were studying the Bible with people like crazy. We had so many Bible studies in Canary Wharf. We were just lighting up his colleagues. And we would get them really, really close. And then they would run. And we would get another one really, really close. And then he would run. And they'd get sentimental. And then they would give into persecution or whatever it would be. And I remember we met this awesome guy. He's from the Caribbean. He's tall, good looking. Super prideful, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we studied the Bible with this guy. And then he ran. And we prayed for him. We prayed for him to come back. And God humbled him. Hardcore. But then he came back. Come on. In December. And got baptized. And that's your brother Chris. So it took Tosin 12 months to make a disciple. Now maybe you'll be there. Maybe you'll be lucky. You'll be like someone like Rachel. Like she baptized someone in the first month of the year. Like that's awesome. Baptizing Sandy. That's great. But uh, maybe you'll be like Tosin, and it'll take you all year. That's okay. You've got 365 days to make a disciple. Because if everyone makes a disciple, we would burst out of this room. So we got to really believe that. you got to believe you can make a disciple. Because some people don't believe that they can. No, no, disciples make disciples. So if you're a disciple, you can do it. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can 100% make disciples. So then there's a few people that have already been fruitful. That's great. God is going to prune you so you can be more fruitful. But now, number six, we need to help everyone to be personally fruitful through prayer, cooperation, and encouragement. So when you 
are fruitful, you make disciples, that's great, but your job's not done. We're a family. We're a united body. There are different parts of the body. Some parts are stronger than others. Some parts are weaker. Some parts do need more help. And that's okay. We're going to help you. Yeah. And so, for all of us, we need to have a conviction that we, it's not uh, just about me. My walk with God. No, no. What about us? How can we be successful as a team? You start with yourself. We don't start with, oh, I'm going to help other people be fruitful first. No, first you focus on yourself. You get fruitful. Then you help other people to be fruitful so we can all succeed together as a family. And then last, number seven. Teach every disciple that this is our culture and God's expectation. We must not begin teaching a different gospel. 2 Corinthians 11.4 says how quick you are to receive another gospel. There are many gospels preached in London right now. We don't want to buy into that. We don't want to buy into... The gospel of, oh, just come to church and you'll be great. The gospel of, oh, yeah, just 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 love Jesus and that's good. No, no, we want to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, go make disciples. This has got to be written on our hearts. This was the first thing Jesus spoke about and this was the last thing Jesus spoke about. This needs to be the first thing we think about and the last thing we think about every single day. And if we do this, God is going to bless us. So, if you're convicted, good. I am convicted. This has not been an easy sermon to preach. It will not be an easy sermon to live. But what's the alternative? Right? I don't want to perish. I don't want you guys to perish, but I really don't want myself to perish. And so let us repent. Let us change our minds. Let us change our lives to repent. Let us be the disciples that God has called us to be. Let us produce fruit. Let's get people to heaven. Come on. When you arrive at the pearly gates, how big will the crowd be of people that's going to be there waiting for you? All the people that are there to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for teaching me about Jesus. Thank you for helping me to have a relationship with God. I'm so grateful. I want to be a huge fan of Repent and it's time for us to produce some fruits. I love you guys and to God be the glory.